This is Coda Radio, episode 404 for March 8th, 2021. I'm glad you found us. This is Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development in the world of technology. This episode's brought to you by a cloud guru. A cloud guru now includes Cloud Playground, Azure, AWS, or Google's sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us, sitting on a big secret that he hasn't shared with me yet, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Mr. Gonna tell you nothing. <laughs> Ever since you and Jar Jar teamed up, it's been secrets and big plans. Don't tell Chris this or that. But then, you know, I get these weird questions that pop up in my Slack DMs all of a sudden. And I'm like, they're working on something together. They're working on something. I do like to slide into your DMs. That's true. <laughs> I get a peek. I get an insight into what's coming. But of course... You know, like the good podcaster that you are, you wait till uh, we're live on the air to tell me things like, you know, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> Some news. So I saw you tweeting, you know, as I stalk you every day, uh, I saw you tweeting that you were announcing something tonight on the show mm-hmm. and that I'd probably disapprove slightly. So uh, sounds like a typical uh, episode of Coda Radio. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so what's the big news? Well, audio URLs are always fun. Intro.coderbytes.lol. Yes, dot L-O-L. Intro.coderbytes.lol? Yeah, why don't you navigate there now, Chris? Just go ahead. Okay. All right. Intro. Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S, of course, because we're, you know, it's not amateur hour. I mean, that's a solid... Dem- oh, God. What, the- <laughs> no. what happened, Chris? Should I say, or should we make people go there to see this? I would say, let me... Don't say, but do you approve of what you've seen? No, no. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think no, you would. No, I do not. <laughs> this is the finest five-minute webpage I could throw up. <laughs> I mean, if you spent 30 seconds on this, it was too much time, but... <laughs> well, I had a bundler issue, because of course I did it in Rails. Oh, right. I'm running all of Rails to render that one thing, which may be not the best choice. Uh, so, yeah, I you know, a long time I've been teasing that I wanted to do kind of like streams on like Twitch... And recordings on YouTube. And uh, now I'm finally doing it. So within the next week or two, we should have the first Coder Bytes up, which is basically me coding, doing little introductory lessons for new coders, coders who maybe want to learn something you know that they're not used to, right? Off the bat, I'm going to do a little series doing some Python, like an introduction to programming. I'm also going to do like an introduction to you know f- patterns that exist in lots of languages, like the delegate pattern, you know, how to use interfaces, uh, inversion of control, stuff like that. But because I am shameless in stealing ideas from you. (laughs) Once a quarter, if people want to send me that sweet, sweet cheddar, they can pick one language that I have to work in for one session. Oh my goodness. And a platform. Inappropriate? Yeah. That's, That's great. So this is beautiful because it's a way for you to do something visual that doesn't necessarily work super well in the show because you're demonstrating and showing stuff. But also, and sometimes it's going to be a way for you to just kind of get a little bit additional content from work you're already doing. So, <laughs> you know, you're going to double dip. <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's going to be a lot of C++. 
The I like the idea of the challenges too. Uh, the only, I mean, like it seems like a ton of work. That's my first thought. Is like, oh my god, that sounds like a lot of work. I guess you got to set up like a what? Are you going to set up a like a regime, like a a, a system, a, a a schedule of sense? What is your thought? So, so this has really opened the kimono here. I am not sure that they will all be actually live, right? I think maybe like once a month is live. Um, I, I'm trying to figure this all out, but yeah, it's going to be a regimented thing probably on like, I don't know. I mean, chat room, you tell me when, when, when would you all want to watch me prostitute myself on uh, OnlyFans? I mean, Twitch, sorry. <laughs> yeah. You get them on Twitch and then you upsell them to the OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of like back in the, back in the day, Chris, mm. when I was a wee lad watching you and Brian Lunduke. Many, many ages ago. Ages. Boy, that feels like it was actually like a lifetime ago, actually. Well, you, you remember my original pitch to you was like, you need a development show on your network because why not? Right. And I've been watching some of the YouTubers and there's nothing. So one, for the people who send us angry emails about language and like content on the show, this will be completely PG. And uh, the themes of the coding challenges, I'm going to make like Disney, like, you know, or Disney is wrong, but like fairy tales for the ones geared towards kids. So you already put a lot of quite a bit of thought into this. So I actually have the first 10 challenges written that are like the intro ones for young kids. Yeah. So it's, it's more like, I don't have the code written, but I have like what they are written. Right. Yeah. I'm also going to do kind of a Linux event because more and more I've been finding my inner hippie. Now this might be too inside baseball, but I know you love talking production pipeline. I'm a big pipeline guy. So I have a problem. One I'm running right now. I have a new keyboard. Oh, real quick. I have a Lenovo ThinkPad wireless keyboard. I got to tell you, the ThinkPad has, it, it's changed my life. Oh. That's just the feel of that keyboard. Tell me. I needed it, so I bought a Bluetooth one. You're like, I need more of this laptop keyboard in my life. It's so good. It's unbelievable. All right. And it doesn't have that obnoxious cherry clicking sound on the on the podcast, so. There is something to that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm using a Dell USB-C Thunderbolt monitor. Basically, I just hook up the M1 Mac or the lemur or the lenovo if i need windows but i'm concerned because i'd like to do these on linux because one of the things i want to do is like introductions for you know folks who maybe are tux curious you know what i mean sure there's there's a lot of them out there but i'm not sure that the lemur can handle me actually running like sea lion or PyCharm or vs code even and obs and taking a video off the camera and capturing the screen yeah. without having the fans you know, sound like a jet engine. I'll tell you what, though. It's amazing, but there are $15 and $25 HDMI capture dongles that are USB that just take HDMI in, and you can hook those up, and they work with Linux and OBS. So you could have camera in, and you could have an HDMI capture in for a laptop, which is how I do it. Is You know, some sometimes I'll show something on my screen, or I'll play a game on the stream. That's HDMI capture from a different machine. It's not running on the OBS machine, but it's being captured by the OBS machine. Wait, so the actual capture work is done on the dongle? It encodes like an H.264 stream that then feeds into OBS. It probably still takes some load on the system, but it's pretty minimal. That might actually be the answer. Look at this. Look at this. Real-time troubleshooting. I feel like this is a great idea, especially if you maybe worked in a little music every now and then when you're like on when you're not working, it's just dead air and you're chatting. Because I have pulled up streams of developers that are writing on open source projects 
And I even had a client, uh, he may listen to this show, who works on, a, on an open source project that you and I have mentioned within the last episode. Hmm. And he has been experimenting with live streaming. And he sees it as a way to kind of grow a community around his open source project. And our buddy Wimpy has had some success streaming some of his live development on Ubuntu Mate, too. And there's an audience there, just like there's an audience to watch people game or, or do other presentations. To be honest with you, if I knew you were doing a stream and I was at my computer, I'd pull it up and have it going. Yeah, especially, oh, by the way, I did tweet a teaser about this and some sick bastard suggested PHP. <laughs> you know that's coming. <laughs> I, I can't wait till someone's like, how about you hook up the Mac and write something in Swift? <laughs> another, you know, that could be another advantage to having uh, one of those HDMI dongles grab a machine is when you do want to fire up the Windows box or the Mac or whatever, it's, it's just one of the inputs. That's going to be pretty cool, man. Yeah. And the software has gotten to a point that makes it pretty accessible. So, uh, okay, so if people want to watch, are you going to broadcast it at, uh, well, it was uh, intro.coderbytes.lol? Yeah, I'm going to, whatever whatever service I end up using, I'm going to just funnel into there. So, spoiler alert, the site you see now is is a joke, right? There's a, there's a real site that's going to be <laughs> migrated over to coderbytes.lol. I hope it stays up long enough for archive.org to capture its essence. It will, yeah, <laughs> Uh, there's there's also a coderbytes.live, which is what I'm probably going to end up using <laughs> and just have them, you know, point to each other, right? One other thing, and this is just for folks in the audience and I'll move on from the shameless shilling. I'm making an effort to not use proprietary tools. I mean, obviously, if somebody says, I want you to do something in like iOS, obviously that's a Mac. But I mean more, like as much as I'm familiar with JetBrains, I'm probably, this is going to be a little bit of a stretch for me, but I'm probably going to, do most of this in VS Code. My thinking, Chris, is some of these are going to be targeted at kids. Sure. Or like younger people who might not have the means to shell out, you know, whatever. I don't even know what I pay because I have the corporate plan, but whatever it costs to buy all the JetBrains IDEs. Yeah. And I think almost as an equalizer, right? Everybody can get VS Code for free. Yeah. And if you're using something that they, oh, I could just go download that and start using it. Right. Like nothing, nothing proprietary, no like, super secret magic like this is our framework internally at tmb just like no this is like file new project you know boom it's a flask app do you think you'd be doing this if uh say covid had never happened and events were still going nope no chance this wouldn't even be on your radar would it not not at all no yeah funny how that works out well cool so we'll have a link obviously in the show notes or people go check it out when are you gonna so should we Give them an expectation of when this is going to start. So the first one should be up by the end of the month, editing God's willing. I mean, the no-brainer would be just to follow you on Twitter and then... Yeah, follow me on Twitter because I, I, I leak like a sieve, so... And then, you know, you know, here's the thing. You don't even have to be a member of Twitter to read the feed. I know. I know. Probably not forever, but <laughs> at least for now. Don't they have, like, paid tweets now or something? Or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole thing's going crazy with the with the people buying tweets, and then they're going, they're doing paid super groups coming up, and it's getting nutty because the ad the ad revenue model isn't working out. So now they're going to start coming up with ways to generate revenue directly from users. Oh, and for those who remember the seven languages and seven weeks challenge, where Wes got to torture me for seven weeks, uh-huh. I have a feeling he'll make an appearance, just kind of like in the chat room at least. How about, uh, what is it, closure? <laughs> and Wes made sure that the old archive.org machine kicked in and got a snapshot. <laughs> God damn it, Wes. Good job, Wes Payne. Good job. <laughs> Wes is always keeping me honest. So Yeah, uh, there you go. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> 
Go to datadog.com slash coder radio. This is going to help you solve some problems, analyze code level performance across your environment, and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. Datadog.com slash coder radio. Datadog's continuous profiler automatically collects profiles from your production servers all the time. So you can analyze any of the data anytime. Look at a snapshot Bring it all in with minimal overhead and get a unified picture of your environment by correlating code performance metrics with other monitoring data with real-time, beautiful dashboards. You can customize these dashboards, and they just look incredible. In fact, if you go to datadog.com slash radio, take a look at these, and then try set one up. You get, get a 14-day free trial. Try setting one up. And if you do, for a limited time, you can get a free T-shirt, too, some free swag, and it's been a long time since we've been able to go to an event and get some swag. So this is a nice way to do that. They really have a lot of tightly integrated components too. So tracing and log management is all there. And that continuous profiler helps collect all of that and bring it together. And Datadog enables you to pinpoint the root cause of an issue faster than ever. And it gives you a great tool to communicate with your team as well. So go try out Datadog for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash radio. For a limited time, create one dashboard and get that T-shirt. It's about time you got some swag, and it's about time you started visualizing your performance issues. Datadog.com slash Radio. Well, some feedback. Now, we got kind of into the whole um, uh, software ransom and um, blackmail situation last week. Remember when we got, well, the week before when we got fired up about somebody who was being taken advantage of? So... Ricardo writes in, he says, okay, so I, I got that you guys were not big on somebody using bug bounties to basically get big payouts, but what do you think of organizations like OpenBugBounty at OpenBugBounty.org that allow security researchers to proactively approach companies, mainly with vulnerabilities found on their websites? Couldn't this work to benefit everyone? So you find something, and these guys can kind of act like a middleman to arbitrate a, I guess, like a, a payment or, or something. Um, which may take out some of what happened to our emailer in the past. You know, some of somebody coming in and saying, hey, I found something, pay me. Oh, hey, by the way, I found something else. You got to pay me again. And then just doing that over and over again. Maybe this helps. You ha- or are you just totally anti-bug bounty? No, I'm not anti-bug bounty. No, I'm not an anti-bug bounty guy. So my whole thing is like the bug. <laughs> I almost turned into a true, true woke person for a second. But Someone should say they're willing to do bug bounties first, right? Yeah, like uh, opt-in kind of thing. But then again, say you're uh, Tesla and you have a vulnerability in your order processing website. Okay, but, 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 but the case that the person wrote in was not Tesla. No, I know. You're right. It was a small business getting shaken down. That's the problem. Is So Ricardo is asking about this open bug bounty. It's a neat idea if you're Drupal, which is like one of the number one uh, players there. Yeah, if 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 you're Microsoft, yeah, sure, you 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 have the pockets and the and the stomach to deal with it. But if you're, you know, Chris and Mike's little, I don't know, we're selling cakes over the internet or whatever, right? Or even just you know, like something that is a huge, ginormous market is a clinic that needs a website with its hours, or a or a, even a burger sh- shack that needs, you know, hours and contact information. Even your local meth dealer. Yeah, really. I mean, all of these people have websites or they have information that they maybe take orders for or something like that. There's so many versions of this, and they are completely, completely ignorant 
to any kind of bug bounty system. Like, it's just not even something they're even conceptually aware of. And it's those people who are just silently getting hammered over and over again. Uh, it's really kind of, let's, let's, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Lisp. Yeah, it feels gross. Let's just move on. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just don't like it. I just get out of here. Get the hell out of here. So what is your opinion on Lisp? Uh, Nick writes in and says, I don't develop in any language, let alone Lisp. And my impression was that it's an old language from another era. Yet via the magic of YouTube algorithms, I have stumbled on it again. And it seems that it has a big community still out there. It's not dead by any means. Well, that's like Jordan Peterson videos, man. Once you get into that loop, you're in trouble. <laughs> it's like Jordan Peterson or Lisp. It's like one or the other on YouTube. There's only two paths. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a binary branch. Right. So what is your opinion about Lisp? Yes. Regards, Nick. I think in eight years, it's the first time I'm going to say this. I don't have an opinion about Lisp. Um, I have never done Lisp. I fear Lisp. And I don't do any Lisp. Yeah. Uh, are you allowed to ha- be opinionless on the internet? I didn't. I, didn't. I, I have nothing because, you know, I've, I've never even like that. Da- like somehow Wes didn't find a way to torture me with Lisp last year. I Wow. I'm going to have to check with the uh, internet organizers. I don't think you're allowed to be uh just neutral on something. But don't worry, someone will find a way to say something mean in the YouTube comments for me not knowing about Lisp. I think I think not having an opinion is in itself an opinion. Well, speaking of something that I may or may not have an opinion on, it appears that uh, the Open Seuss folks and other uh, disillusions are accepting talks and proposals. Other disillusions? What was that? What did he- huh? Huh? Let's <laughs> rewind for a second. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, there's a Seuss conference that... Uh, People are going to go to, or at least attend, and they're looking for talks. Or as you would call it, a morally bankrupt event, yes. No, I mean, they all have good intentions, the poor fools. <laughs> what are you running these days? Uh, mostly Arch and, and Ubuntu. <sighs> Ubuntu on the server, with the exception of one Arch server. You know, I like that. I like to be close to the metal, you know? I don't like those silly forked versions of Linux that have their own altered reality for several years at a time. I prefer to get it straight from the upstream hose. You mean that work? Is that, is that, is that the <laughs> thing that bothers you, Mr. R? All right, I'm being a, I'm being a little silly, but uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's, you know what I realized when you put this link in here to this OpenSUSE proposals for the OpenSUSE virtual conference is I think we're seeing a shift from the Ubuntu monopoly to you know, for all the application layer stuff, uh, for the web for web apps, to uh, SUSE, I think we're seeing a bunch of different Linuxes kind of fill that gap, and I think maybe that's why what happened with CentOS recently was was so dramatic because we are in the middle of the shift, and CentOS was apparently one of the landing pads for a lot of people that were perhaps migrating away from Ubuntu. Uh, it just seems like five years ago this conversation wouldn't even be happening. It would just be Ubuntu by default. And I think that shift has begun. And I, I when I see it reflected in the audience a lot, too, I hear a lot from different distro users than in the past when it was predominantly, yeah, it felt like 80% of the audience was running Ubuntu. It just doesn't seem that way anymore, that are Linux users. And uh, so when I saw this link in here, I realized perhaps it is a changing of the times. And, you know, not everything is uh, changing for the better. There's so much here, but real quick. So Wes just found a little Easter egg in the source code to the CoderByte site. Oh, man. It's a love message for you. Of course it's in there. I should have looked. I should have known. You should have known to view source, man. Would I want to see it, though? You know, I prefer to be 
ignorant. Uh, I think it's important that you know what's going to happen to you. Yes. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, okay. Intro dot coder bites. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Suze is a, I'm sorry, Susa is a reasonable solution. Yeah. Unless you say their name wrong, then they're completely unreasonable, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> after too much time in the beer hall and not enough pretzels, yes, things get a little rough. No, I follow you though. I follow you. It is a reasonable solution. You know, it's funny you say the Ubuntu Monopoly because Ubuntu made a huge splash on Hacker News and the rest of the interwebs with their Flutter announcement, which I'm amazed we don't have in the notes this week, unless I didn't pay attention and it's there and I'm a jerk. Uh, No, I just didn't know how interested you were in Flutter. I mean, Flutter is a technology I've tried several times and I think is good, but I'm I'm trying to avoid things owned by big companies, Yeah, which is a topic for a different day, but... I guess I don't see the same like erosion in Ubuntu market share, at least on the server that you you seem to have implied. Maybe it's just more people using Linux. That's what I think it is. I like the reason I'm using SUSE other than that it bothers you yeah. is, which is of course very important. Sure, is that it already had all the dumb certification stuff that I needed. Yeah, yeah, and like Canonical's getting there, and I think they've basically gotten there, but that decision had to be made before. And I didn't want to pay for a rel. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, as much as I kid, uh, you know, different policy based reasons that drive adoption of an OS are super common in business deployments. It's it's totally normal. And SUSE does meet certain requirements that Ubuntu does. And I get it. I totally get it. Part of me pains, but I get it. It's fine. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm just happy there's more Linux out there. I mean, at the end of the day, Windows 10 and WSL are going to cannibalize all of desktop <laughs> Linux. So, oh. Yeah. Uh, I know, I, I, <clears throat> I dread the day that uh, future tech contractors show up at an office and they have like a Windows 10 box in the back and they have all the server services running under WSL on Windows 10. Because you know that's out there. Somebody's doing it. It's going to happen. I've seen Windows XP used as an office file server before, so... Josh writes in, we were talking about uh, some tools earlier. Josh was trying to get some opinions on the ReSharper tool. So in last episode, Mike talked about getting back to roots with C++, but as a casual C Sharp developer, I cannot live without ReSharper. What do you guys think of these types of tools or the IntelliSense keybinding enhancer? So ReSharper is part of an overall pack of tools that is available for VS Code. Uh, made by your good buddies over at JetBrains. Mm, no, for Visual Studio proper. Ah, sorry, sorry. And also, if you have uh, their .NET IDE writer, it's actually built into it in some weird way. So there's a lot here. ReSharper is basically IntelliSense on steroids after a bender in Tijuana. Oh, man. This might be my kind of thing then. <laughs> but when I installed it in my Visual Studio setup on my little Lenovo it crashed the performance of my machine. Oh, no, really? So, yeah, so that might be... My machine's not anemic, but it's only 16 gigs of RAM, and I wasn't really running much other than, like, Slack and Edge, but, yeah. Um, Having said that, they actually have a version of ReSharper for C++, and, again, if you're using C-Line, which is their C++ IDE, which is what I use, it is basically built in, if not fully built in. I'm not sure how they would want it categorized i mean i think it's good right more static analysis of your code while you're writing it is better always i have some quibbles with resharper as i've used it in writer because they have lots of opinions on lots of things that i think are kind of 
more style and like the way they think you should do things. But I'm a guy who wants code to be like it was in the 90s. So I don't know. I would probably say if you have a beefy enough machine and there may be some weird reason, some configuration issue on my little Lenovo. Having said that, this is a new computer. It's not like I messed it up with games or whatever. I mean, I'm a big fan of static analyzers, right? I use Rubocop. I use uh, PyLint, more of a linter, I know. I've been looking at, me and Wes were talking earlier about Flake, which is another Python one. I've used, what is it, Sherbert in Ruby? Rings a bell. Yeah, I can't remember now, but I would never tell someone not to use something like this. What I will say is like, if it's crashing the performance of your IDE, then don't. One thing I would also add is for a tool like this, either the whole team has to use it or nobody does because they do enforce some stylistic things that it just becomes annoying when you pull in a branch and like, you know, resharpers blowing up and underlining all your code because, you know, Jim Bob, Jim Bob doesn't have it installed and isn't following the conventions. Right. right? (laughs) Not that that's ever happened to you. (laughs) Now, having said that, now that I'm in the wild west of C++, it's like, Damn, you could do whatever you want. The chat room has me realizing that we should probably just touch on something else about Flutter. We go into this in more detail in Linux Action News 179. So go check that out because we play some clips from a Canonical engineer and whatnot. But Canonical, as a business, is all in on Flutter for their future Linux desktop applications. Their new rewritten or, or brand new from scratch Ubuntu installer is in Flutter. And then their engineer made a statement at uh, Google's Flutter event that all future canonical desktop applications would also be written in Flutter and that they have like an ongoing plan of continuous types of improvement that are they expect to land in Flutter, like multi-window support and more Linux theming. And uh, Wes and I, <clears throat> we're playing around with it. And I actually built a Flutter app pretty easily. They have some basic stuff you can do in the documentation. And I kind of got it because with Flutter, you get the experience of building like an Electron style app or a web app where you can see your changes in real time, right? It's being rendered in a runtime for you as you're developing it. But then when you build it, it's native and it's it runs as native code. The binary is portable. You can take it off a Linux box and move it to another Linux box and you can run it. Uh, with no Flutter stuff installed at all, and it looks like a GTK application. So you get like all of the benefits of building a web app, uh, which also can be built for Windows, iOS, Android, and the web now. that They just added that. And Linux. And Canonical's the one who's really working on the Linux support, and it seems like Canonical's decided, well, we're going to hitch our wagon to this technology. It's a different change. Instead of the Canonical not invented here thing that they often get accused of, it's like the exact opposite of that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. There you go. There you go. Well, okay. Yeah, it is nice. I mean, that's all I'm saying. It's just really nice. Uh, So check out LAN episode 179 if you want to know more. You know how many times Canonical has lied to me about client-side stuff? I just want it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I know everybody feels that way. Yeah. They get a rough deal because like the people will cite, well, look, they tried to do Unity 8, but Unity 8 was based on Qt. And then No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm waiting for my Ubuntu TV. I'm going back. Ah, there I'm, it is. Uh, yeah, there it is. I'm going back. <laughs>
Linode.com slash coder. Go to Linode.com right now slash coder. Let's do it together. Linode.com slash coder. Oh, I go there. What do I get? $100. $100 in credit for a new account over at Linode.com slash coder. Can you believe that? Can you imagine what you could try out? And Linode has $5 a month machines, but they have some really nice, powerful machines too. And with $100, try it out. That's our hosting provider of choice. We use Linode to run everything. Our backend infrastructure for anything we're doing with JB 3.0 is on Linode. I found them about two years ago. I mean, they've been around forever. I found them about two years ago, started using them for my personal stuff. And then when we took the company independent, I thought, I want to build everything with Linode. They have had the opportunity to do things right. I think one of the most notable moments in Linode's history, they started in 2003 before AWS. But I think one of the more Notable moments happened in 2016 when Linode took complete control over their network destiny. And they tell the story on their blog, and you can find it over there, about the way that they took complete control over their network. They became their own ISP, and this let them build out super fast connections between their 11 data centers worldwide. And they focused on this stuff and gotten really good at it. If, if you need to run a database server up in the cloud, if you need a website, if you need back-end storage, they have object storage. If you want something that works with your infrastructure management tools, Linode does that. And with that $100 credit, you can put something actually out there and try it and see how it works in the real world. And if you have a $5 a month machine or if you have some crazy big configuration like we've done for our Matrix server, you get great Linode support. Doesn't matter which plan you're on, Linode's going to help you out. And they have VPN-friendly servers as well if you want to build yourself a VPN up in the cloud. They're independently owned, and they're founded on a love for Linux and open source technologies. And, of course, the community that surrounds them. They supported, for many years, my beloved Linux Fest Northwest and all things open, the Kubuntu project, which we run right here on our OBS machine to stream to the world. It's remarkable. And they have human-powered customer support. That's something they never they never let go of. They combine it with an easy-to-use cloud dashboard, super-fast back-end systems, and everything you'd want to run your personal site or your business site on the Internet. Personal or business, they've got something that'll work for you. So get started. Go to linode.com slash coder. Get that $100 60-day credit. And, of course, you support the show. linode.com slash coder. You're talking about C++, but it, I think I see you looking over your shoulder at .NET. Um, again, I stalk you on Twitter. I, uh, I have every tweet pushed to my watch, as you know. Um, and uh, I, just see, I just see you this week talking about working in C Sharp and not talking about C++ at all. Yes. So, okay. So, you know what? Someone set me straight on Twitter. One, I have a client project that's pretty C Sharp heavy. So, yes, I, you know what? Every once in a while, you become seduced by Visual Studio. There's something about an IDE that basically writes the code for you. <laughs> that is amazing. Right? And a platform that is so robust that it has literally an API for everything. But I have resisted that temptation because I am an old man, Chris. As I, last week, we had a little bit of an old man fest. Yep. And I want to not have a big platform dependency. I want to own my stack. 
Well, and I mean, you got you got limited time in the day, too. I think there's some sense to, I don't need to try out everything right now. Right. When I'm in bankruptcy court, because I decided I had to re-implement strings, <laughs> you know, we'll talk about it later. So we really had a, another crisis of conscience today. It was .NET, C++, or Rust. Literally the same thing that happened last week. And, oh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm the one who put the kibosh on Rust. I boiled that crab. I, I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I, I can, I bet I can understand. It's like, do you really need that, that variable right now? We got to like, it's too, it's too new. And one of our main issues is we need to, we need to get cracking. Right. Sounds like there's multiple irons as they say in the fire at the moment. Is this the time? Cause you know, when you, it's, it's conceptually, it's a great idea with go, go with rust. Absolutely. But you just touched on earlier Team knowledge, tooling, like there's so much there. So much there. Java Jacks in the chat's mentioning Crystal. Crystal was mentioned, but we have a policy that if it's not a 1.0, we don't do it. And I think it's version 0.3 something right now. So Java Jacks repping the Crystal. Crystal's pretty interesting though. But ultimately, the winning argument was C can run on a toaster. Uh, yeah. I did spend some time today with GNU Step. I don't know if you know about GNU Step, Chris. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> of course. Well, it actually has it has legacies all the way back to Next. The idea kind of being when Next and macOS kind of became uh, joined to Apple, there was still people that wanted to preserve that experience. Best language ever invented, yeah. I think it's still actually been updated within like a year or so. Like it's still supported, actually. Yeah, I'm looking at. I'm trying to look at the Wikipedia right now. I'm trying to see when the last update was. The last update... GNUstep.org, my man. April 5th, 2020. 11 months ago. So, uh, there you go, right? I mean, can you imagine if I came on here and said, I'm running a giant project in Objective-C for Linux? I mean, yeah. Was, you could totally you, imagine so, yeah. yeah. Everybody would imagine that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm going with C++. I am going to defend C++ because I got a lot of crap on Twitter. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I mean C++20. Right. If you only use the modern features, and if you write your code as though it were C, which means you virtual classes don't exist, <laughs> they just, nope, we're not doing that. No polymorphism, nope. We're keeping it simple. We're possible, we're avoiding the OO stuff. Have you heard the story of the scorpion and the frog? <laughs> I am vaguely familiar, yes. Can I ask you, I, I want to, I got something I that you said that I want to, talk more about how much is low-end hardware a factor here like 90 percent. see that i kind of feel like has been missing from our conversations recently yeah these are small cheap embedded pieces of hardware okay see now you know i can totally understand the hesitance to go with something like rust right now well rust has done a lot of work recently on their embedded game like a year ago it would have been a non-starter but just the newness of it I mean, I'll put it this way. I'm having conversations with a uh, uh, system on a chip and, you know, hardware vendors, right? All of them can guarantee me that they have an SDK or some sort of library that I can drop in right? and like interop with C++ or C. That's got to be a huge factor. That's huge, right? Yeah. Rust, they're like, well, you could use FFI, right? Or uh, maybe. Not having something like the CLR or the JVM is going to save us at scale pretty significant amount of money because we can buy cheaper components, right? The other reality, you know, I want to be a little careful in how I say this. There are a lot of 
what I would consider misguided efforts to take like higher level languages and have them transpile into like C or C++ and then compile it down into native code. That to me seems like an unnecessary risk for a project that is really going to be our big project for the year, big internal product. And one that you want to already be, it sounds like, I assume, working on. Yeah, we're already working on it, right? So, I mean, we're in the design phase and we're doing, you know, you know, binning out parts. I mean, this is, and right now you can't buy chips if your life depended on it, so. I was just having a conversation with a guy from JPL and it's one, it's one of the craziest things, like the processors they use in the Rover, uh, he said, are equivalent to like 6,800 PowerPC Mac processors that are just like crazy hardened that they have in the in the Perseverance rover that just landed they have two of these 6800 era so like they're not those weren't power pc back then but they're that of era processor that's the power pc architecture and that i guess even some of the early software development they had it they have the code up and running uh, on old chips that were even closer to the shipping power pc chips of the era and they're those are ancient they're in the hundreds of megahertz so they're really not that fast but you know they just they had to get working on this years ago. They had to make a decision with something they knew that worked. And so they took the hardware that was on the previous rover and just iterated on it a little bit. And so it dictated a lot of wh- how they built software for that thing. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, right? Like, you may end up with an esoteric processor architecture for reasons that make a lot of sense. But, you know, you don't want to back yourself into a software corner. Yeah, the limitations are always fascinating. That'll be a journey. So it sounds like it's going to be a long-term project. I know. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I miss the days of, like, crapping out an app in a month or two. I just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Did you uh, see the news that uh, your beloved uh, Mac Pro has been discontinued? <sighs> the iMac Pro, I should say. Yeah, I uh, know. Big difference. The iMac Pro. Yep. Pour one out. The iMac Pro is uh, is officially a one-shot machine. It's not that they didn't love you, iMac Pro. It's that you were of a different time. Not really. It's you came out right before the Apple Silicon <laughs> change. Well, I think, see, the if you recall back to that, that roundtable they had about Pro Mac users, they thought this was going to replace the Mac Pro after the trash can, and they thought this would be good enough, and then they realized that people wanted something more modular and, exp- and expansive. And so this filled that two-year gap between when they had that state of the Mac roundtable where they said they were going to invest in the pro and before and then it took two years for the mac pro to ship this was the gap filler that they thought was going to be the high end of the mac and uh, they bumped the processors once in it but otherwise never updated they released it in 2017 classic freaking apple rev it like once never lower the price <laughs> yep yeah and now it just doesn't make sense does it with with the s1 because the thing that makes the mac pro I'm sorry, the iMac Pro, the iMac Pro is Xeon processors and the cooling system that they upgraded. Neither one of those things are relevant in the M1 world. There probably will no longer be a iMac Pro. They'll just be iMacs and they'll be Apple uh, CPU based. So say goodbye, Mike. It's, uh, it's gone now. It's all gone. We'll always have Riverview. Yeah, I, uh, I, I knew 
somehow I just knew when they when they announced it. You, it was doomed, right? It was. Yeah. What the hell are they going to do though for the Mac Pro? That's the question. There's rumors that there's going to be an event towards the end of March for Apple, where they probably will do more Macs, maybe the iMac. But uh, wait, you think there's going to be a new Mac Pro? Eventually, right? Maybe. Yeah, but not this year, right? No, I bet that's the last one they do, because the you know GPUs are a big part of what make the Mac Pro the Mac Pro. And right now, the only GPUs they have are Apple GPUs. I can't see them revving the Mac Pro this year. Can I confess something to you? Please. There's two Macs in the orbit of Jupiter broadcasting, and they are used for various um, plugins from the uh, uh, RX folks. Who makes them? I should uh, I should give these guys like a little bit of a shout out because these are these have saved some of our interviews. But there's a tool of there's a series of RX audio tools, and uh, they're pretty great. They're made by Isotope, Isotope.com, Izotope.com, uh, and they really work pretty much only on the Mac or on Windows. Drew's actually able to sometimes, I think, or quite often get them working under Linux, but Drew has talents that I lack. Uh, So we have a couple of these older Macs around that uh, we will use every now and then for this kind of thing. And God, is man, is Mac OS a pain in the ass when you haven't used it for a while and then you turn it on? It has absolute contempt for the user. It could give zero Fs what you want to do with your machine. When I load up a Mac that hasn't been used for a while, it is routine that my machine will be maxed out on CPU and network, syncing iCloud crap that I could give zero Fs about, and then running a bunch of background installers like it's a freaking Windows 7 machine, consuming all of my CPU and network. And boy, is that not frustrating when I'm on LTE, but man, is it also not frustrating when I, I tend to be loading the Mac up because... I got to save an interview and it's, oh, I don't know, 8, 9 p.m. at night and I'd really like to go home. But instead, I'm waiting for my Mac to sit here and do all this background crap. And so it's just a total crap experience. So I basically have a machine that I'll boot up and I'll just have it do all its updates about once a week just to avoid this situation. And every time I boot it up right now, it's given me the hard sell to upgrade on Big Sur. But we have two of these machines in total. They're both MacBooks. And I cannot bring myself to go to Big Sur. And I don't know what I'm going to do because I know Big Sur is like it's halfway through its life cycle now. So I'm like, I'm basically at the point now where I'm just going to not upgrade to Big Sur and I'm just going to wait till the next one. But some of my tools still aren't compatible and I just don't see any compelling reason on a production machine. But I I know eventually I'm going to be screwed if I don't. And I feel like I'm a Luddite. That's my confession to you. I feel like I've become a Mac Luddite, and I have not yet used Big Sur. You know, I, I've actually had the experience, too. If I don't use my Mac for a couple days, when I open it up, it's like rage. It sends you all the notifications it wanted to send you from, like, your iOS devices at once. Yeah, I've just given up, and I just mute the notifications every time now. But there, it's something like I have something like 35, 45 notifications that come up on the screen until I hit the... D&D. It's horrible. It's like the worst that Windows was in that regard. Now, if you use your Mac every single day, or even several times a week, this stuff is sort of spread out. 
you know, Chrome does its update, Dropbox does its update, iStat menus will do their updates. The apps that all prompt to get updated every time you launch them for the first time, they're all kind of happening in real time, so it's all kind of spread out. iCloud is continually syncing in the background, so it's not like this big load that just comes down via NSURL session D or whatever it is. And But if you batch your Mac usage and you use it sort of infrequently just as a production tool, man, is it a frustrating experience. I mean, there are times, I'm I'm sorry I keep going on, but boys have been upsetting. There are times when I am like encoding video on the, on the Mac because we had to run it through some audio processing and the video is, is taking significantly longer. Even though it has the highest priority, it's still just, there's a lot going on with the disc, there's a lot happening and it just runs slower. And I, I just want it to get done as fast as possible. And I find that immensely frustrating. And I've so I've just sort of soured on the whole experience. And I feel like I'm kind of getting left behind. And then if I end up getting an M1 machine to replace one of these Macs one day, I'm going to have like this huge jump forward, I would imagine, in OS. That's kind of funny because on the Linux side, I'm like running the most current, up-to-date stuff all the time. But it's all centrally managed. It's all brought down by my package manager when I tell it to. And it's every app through one mechanism instead of every app having their own update mechanism. And so it's like, I'll do it on a Saturday or I'll do it in the morning and then I'll reboot my machine or something. And it for the rest of the day, nothing like that happens. And because the Plasma desktop and Gnome Shell aren't integrated with some cloud syncing service that I don't even want to use. And the thing is, like, I have an iPhone, so, like, in the background, it's, you know, oh, I better pull down all those photos. And now that I've pulled down his photos, I better analyze everybody's face no, <laughs> don't do that. Stop it. But then, of course, you know, if you want any of that stuff to work with Final Cut, you have to have that stuff on there. Anyways, my point is, is that I feel like I feel like at the end of the day, I have truly become like the typical Linux user where I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of I'm not just I'm not it's not that I'm anti Mac. It's just that that kind of stuff with a package manager doesn't happen. And I love that when it comes to a workstation, my, my work machine, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would say like some of the consumery features of macOS can make it annoying to work in. But just to devil's advocate a little bit, yeah, if you actually just work in your Mac every day, it's it's fine. Yeah, it really is. It pretty much is. It's just that little penalty when you don't use it that often. That said, though, these MacBooks getting in there in age, like this one here that that, that I was experiencing this on. It's a uh, late. Actually, I don't know if that's true. It's just a. It's a 15 inch 2016. MacBook Pro, so the one with the the first bad butterfly keyboard that generation, and it's running Catalina, totally fine. I mean, it's still a pretty solid machine performance wise. It's very reliable, and all of the keys work fine. I've never had. I've never. This is a 2016 butterfly number one version keyboard, and I have zero problems with it. I mean, it doesn't. I don't like typing on it. it works. It works totally fine though. Never had a problem. Super reliable machine. Works like a, just performs like a rock. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. It's just been a great machine. It's just that stuff is frustrating. The software stuff that Apple could get their hands around. They could come up with an update system, maybe call it a package manager. I don't know. Um, they could maybe, maybe they aqua hire the uh, aqua hire the aqua, aqua hire the, the brew folks. I was just going to say, what if they made their own pinty brew? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, you could, you know, you could accuse them of Sherlocking it, but if they could bring some, if they could give, developers something outside the app store for updates that'd be really great because the solution right now is well if it's not in the app store yeah sorry 
Not good enough, I say. Well, Mr. Dominic, I'm excited about your streams. That's going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be great. Looking forward to that. And then last but not least, let's wait. One last thing before we go. Did you see that Mobile World, which is the big, uh, which is the big uh, phone conference that's put on by GSMA, is planning to do a 50,000-person event in Barcelona in June. All eyes are going to be on that. But if that goes well, it's not like a super spreader event. That might be the big event that changes things and we start seeing in-person events start up, start up again. I mean, they say they're going to have all these precautions on here. They're, everybody's going to have to wear a mask and you're going to be temperature checked every 72 hours and stuff like that. But 50,000 people at an actual event, if Mobile World Congress pulls that off, I mean, it's almost, it's almost a sure bet that other big events are going to start, start happening again too. Like this could be it, right? June, depending on how this goes. Who wants to go to Mobile World Congress? I mean, well, apparently 50,000 people. That's what they're planning for. Anybody who's anybody in like the telco space that works at the telco layer goes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they go. Yeah, they go. This could be the spark that restarts that fire. That's not a very good analogy now that I think about it, but I don't know. We'll see. Get this, man. This is how this is how deep this goes. There's smartphone lobbyists. Like there's a smartphone lobby group and they're planning to like lobby for local laws to allow this to happen. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> like just all in service of the Samsung Galaxy S whatever the hell number they're on now. Yeah. <laughs> So that way, that way the galaxy can have a big, uh, a big splash. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. So, uh, you gotta go check out intro.coderbytes.lol, obviously, or follow Mike on Twitter. He's at Dumanuko on Twitter. Uh, anything else you want to mention? No, I think that's it. I mean, I, I guess I'll see what mobile world Congress. We will be watching, won't we? I won't. Too mean. But I'll be paying attention just uh, enough to see if, if it, uh, is like, you know, like I said, if it's if it's a bad if it's a, it becomes a COVID event, I think it's it'll be like you know what it is. I just realized it's the hedgehog that comes out, and if it sees its shadow or not, and if if it sees its shadow, it's like twelve more months of no no in person events. <laughs> yeah, but if like half the Verizon executives in the world die, would that be so bad? <laughs> I know. I just caught myself. Like, well, actually, wait. Have fun, boys. It's going to be a great conference. Enjoy. Thanks to our QA team at CoderQA.co. Support the show and get a limited ad feed. And of course, the Coderly Report. You can uh, find me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Last. The podcast network is at Jupiter Signal. We do this show live on Mondays, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. We'd love to have you join us. Links to what we talked about today are at coder.show slash 404. You'll also find our contact form as well as our RSS feed over there. That's right, RSS feed over there at coder.show. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week.